Good afternoon, my AOWs. Podcasting again, still in my bedroom, podcasting room, still under construction. It's kind of driving me crazy because I just want to be in there and the acoustics were so good in my cedar closet. I hope that they are going to stay that way. All right, today I have a special, special treat for you. If you follow me over on Instagram, then you may have seen that I snagged my good friend and colleague, Rachel Rubin, to do a live podcast recording with me from Ishwish. If you don't know, Ishwish is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. It's an amazing conference where leaders in women's sexual health all meet to discuss uh, what's new in terms of research, in terms of protocols, in terms of guidelines, um, and just really get to engage with each other, form a community, and form a network. Rachel and I have been friends for such a long time, and it was so much fun to get her and really just kind of say, all right, Rachel, let's talk. So we really didn't have, I wouldn't say too much planned, but the two of us don't really need anything to be planned. Put a microphone in front of us and we will just talk. In fact, not just talk, but scream what we believe from the rooftops, which is really that women's health has been so poorly misunderstood, not researched, uh, swept under the rug for far too long. So it was really, really great to get to chat with her and record this for you. If it's a little low, meaning if you have to like, when you get to the podcast, crank up your volume, feel free. We literally were recording in the middle of a ballroom. And towards the end, people were staring at us to try to get us to move out of the way because they were going to be setting up for the poster session. So it might be a little on the low side, but I beg of you, turn it up. It's so good and get ready to be dazzled amazed and inspired. Here we go. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey, Rachel. Hey, can you say something into the mic? Sure, I can talk into the mic. Thank you for having me. I really <laughs> like being here with you. I like being here with you, but somehow I am still louder. Why? You know, I've never been told that I'm a quiet human. I'm typically Today the is the day. So I think the sound quality is pretty good. So we're going to go forth. We are podcasting live at the Ishwish Annual 2023 Conference with my twin flame. What's Ishwish? Ishwish is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. Say it four times fast. Though. No, no. Ishwish and Hanana. I just want to be twin flames with you like MGK and um, Megan Fox. Who's MGK? I'm so bad at pop culture. You don't know who MGK is at all? I thought you were asking between the two of us who of us is MGK. What does MGK stand for? Machine Gun Kelly? Yeah, no. I got nothing. Do you know who Megan Fox is? That one I know. You can be Megan Fox. I'll be MGK. There is no planet where I'm Megan Fox. Well, MGK and and Megan Fox have a lot of sex. She used to be Brian Austin Green's wife. wife. Yes. That's where I left it. Yes. Yep. Get closer. I want you okay, yep, but, right, right in. But does that mean we have to have a lot of sex? Is that what you're trying to implicate here? No. I mean, I'm just saying we're at a sex conference right now. It's very strange. We are at a sex conference, but it's very non-sexual. I always like to say when I go to these sex conferences, there's very little actual sex being discussed. We always talk about dysfunction when everything goes wrong. 
we, there's also like a basketball tournament, like players staying here too. So there's like the Murray State basketball team and then the sex doctors. It's very hilarious. It's always funny. We were at our uh, Iswish fall course and there was a conference of conflict negotiators and they came and they bought all these vibrators and tried on all these t-shirts at the exhibit booth and they took all these pictures and tweeted about it. It was very funny. Yes. All right, so truth be told, although I already told you the truth, I missed the clitoris lecture. It was very good. I want to talk about clitorises. Sure. You know, I will always talk about clitorises. The New York Times named me DC's premier clitorologist because it was a title that nobody else wanted. So (laughs) I am so proud of you. Thank you for doing something nobody else wants to do. It's my my life's honor. Well, you know, I think this is going to make the youngsters or whomever. You know, we have 90 students here at this conference and I have at least uh, 20 or 30 of them coming and they're presenting research and data and they are excited. It's incredible. I'm so excited. People are going to look at this and be like, this is something that is really cool. And like should a lot be of medicine. Raw, raw chicks and guys too. Guys, a lot of men were in the New York Times article, but like, I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. So you're DC's clitorologist. Well, the lecture right after mine, DC's premier clitorologist, the lecture right after mine was so incredible. This woman, radiation oncology, for anyone in medicine knows, anyone who does radiation oncology has to be super wonky smart and good at physics and like really into tech and all this like lasers and robots and all these very cool technological things. And so this uh, woman... Um, a radiation oncologist got up on stage and said there are zero things in the literature about the clitoris and radiation therapy for cancer. We have 25. Zero? Zero. zero. There's like zero. There's, she pointed to three studies that had a blip about the clitoris that was about a tiny little circle uh, in one paper that the clitoris was mentioned basically and she is now has NIH funding to research the clitoris and sexual health after radiation therapy. Lots of women get radiation therapy and their genitals for yeah. cancer and there yeah. has been zero research published on what happens to their pleasure their clitoris their orgasm their quality of life and this yeah. doctor is ch- one doctor is changing that completely and it was just wow. incredible yeah yeah okay i want to ask you how did you get to be how did you get to this point how did you get to be a clitorologist you went and did a urology residency when you were in urology residency were you like i love learning about sexual health like how did this evolve and and how did you know this was going to be like your career destiny which it is well i think every little girl dreams of being a penis doctor right like that's just the dream no that didn't happen um i you know in medical school you i took one day of your and i was like i do not want to see penis all day i uh you know when you find your subspecialty in medicine everybody has a story right of what they love to do of what they're interested in and i you know thought maybe you know i love women's health i'm interested in this i i'm a uh, I'm a person who likes deep conversations and really getting to know people and like asking them questions like really I don't do superficial I do like deep questions and in yeah, urology you, do, you look people like right in like, the eye like I deep am super to someone's soul like, like I don't do I don't do chit chat very well like I'm actually very uncomfortable at cocktail parties except that they're called cocktail parties I think that's oh, funny that's funny um, but I go like I find out if people are on vaginal estrogen during cocktail parties like I will yeah, ask them I will say yeah, I will say what's your yes. hormone regimen and I go up to them and very inappropriately ask them them about their medications 
Um, but the point is, is, is in urology, like we deal with very, um, you know, sensitive topics, sexual health, yeah. quality of life, cancer. Um, and we really get to know our patients and we get to operate, which is really fun. And um, women's sexual health is not really um, um, pioneered by any specific field of medicine, but urologists have actually done way more in the field of women's sexual health than most other specialties. Uh, Helen O'Connell, this urologist in Australia, was one of the people who pioneered and rebrought in clitoral anatomy, the full clitoral anatomy. Erwin Goldstein, my mentor, right, he created the ISWISH, the Society of Women's Sexual Health, from learning what he learned about men's sexual health and saying, why don't we have anything for women? And so it has been urologists in the American Urologic Association that has really focused on women's sexual health and the only fellowship in the country that even acknowledges women's sexual health is through urology which is crazy and I hope to change one day so that's kind of how it all happened oh that is a really good idea change it change it in like what way I would love to have my own fellowship I would love to train and I don't think it needs to be a urologist I would love to train someone men's and women's sexual health and comprehensive sexual medicine where they really understand I do four things I deal with issues of desire arousal orgasm and pain and you and I overlap because menopause creates a lot of problems with desire, arousal, orgasm, and pain. Yeah, it does. Oh, that would be a great idea. They could spend like time with you, time with me. Oh like my just, gosh. oh gosh. We Don't could create even. the ultimate fellowship. Yes. Don't even. Um, For all the billionaires listening, please call me. I would love to set up a <laughs> my fellowship. Phone numbers. <laughs> Actually, we're really easy to get in contact with. (laughs) Just DM. Um, How? What's the percentage of women versus men? Now that you're in your private practice, and especially being in the New York Times, and especially being a clitorologist, what percent do you see? And have you ever considered group visits? Yes, I do. I actually do group menopause visits, and it's wildly successful, and I love it. Um, I see about you know because my social media and my recent media attention has been very female focused I do see probably 70% women maybe 60% women and 40% men or so and because I take a long time with people right my new patient visits are an hour to an hour and a half depending on their virtual or in person Uh, follow-ups are half an hour so I can't see a million people a day and so my wait list is quite long and so a lot of you know there are a lot of people who do men's sexual health a lot of general urologists do men's sexual health but there are very few people who do women's sex, who, who take care of women's sexual health problems and who have the time to do so. So even if you have a very uh, kind and thoughtful and wonderful, lovely you know, provider, um, they often don't have the time to really get to know you, to know what your goals are, to know what you care about, and to say, hey, did you know that there are FDA treatment options that you can do that may boost your libido or uh, devices that we can recommend for you to improve your orgasm or arousal? So I just know a lot about this stuff mm-hmm. and then can take time, the time to time. customize it for the patient in front of me. And, and it's kind of not fair, right? Because I have like a, I have a leg up because I take the time with people so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 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 better at this mm-hmm. for that reason only what do you think if you had a wish list a wish list just straight wish list of what research people would start doing or or like or, or the question calls would be like what is the research you're most excited about that's coming out but I'm sure you would love like there are so many things I would love that would just like never happen I would love to compare one HRT regimen to another in an RCT a randomized control trial that will never happen it just won't for various reasons but what's the kind of dream you have about 
research if you could just wish list what you wanted? So there, that's what's so interesting about women's sexual health is we're 20 years behind in men's sexual uh, than our male colleagues, right? So we have unlimited research questions. We barely know anything about or female orgasm, why it happens, how to treat people when they cannot orgasm or have anorgasmia. Um, we have, I would love to see more work done in testosterone in women because we know testosterone is a very, very important hormone for women. In fact, they said it at this conference, testosterone is the predominant hormone in women. Testosterone is the predominant hormone in women because women have more testosterone in their body than estrogen. And so we must move on from the idea that women have estrogen and men have testosterone, right? So, and it's not just about libido, though that is where the majority of our data exists right now, but we need the vulva, the urethra, the bladder, the vulvar vestibule are very rich in hormone receptors, both estrogen and androgen. So we need more research and products available to help our patients who are getting urinary tract infections, have pain with intercourse, have muted or delayed orgasm. And I've actually, I actually want to take, uh, get your take on the recent media uh, explosion of testosterone in great in Britain. I want to know what your thoughts are because I have a lot of thoughts about it. But uh, I'm just so upset that the community is dismissing that testosterone is just helpful for libido, so it's not that big of a deal, and we shouldn't be recommending women to take it. Like libido is somehow mm-hmm. like not an important enough topic for us to be treating. Like I, I just it's like, like it's just okay for libido, so we shouldn't be encouraging. And how dare a celebrity talk about her testosterone regimen? Like we're okay with testosterone for transitioning and transgendered humans. Why can't we have the conversation about testosterone being good for libido for our menopausal patients? What's your thoughts? My thoughts. Are you turning it over to me. All right. My thoughts are a couple fold. The first is that I think where the line gets crossed for me is that, yes, I think testosterone likely is very helpful for other symptoms besides for low libido. I think it helps people's cognition. They feel a little bit sharper. They have a little bit more energy. It's subtle, but I see it. Now, the only concern that I have is it's very common for women to get super therapeutic levels of testosterone. I see this all the time, and I see the horrors of the side effects from it. And we're talking typically pellets, but again, really, really high levels. So supraphysiologic levels. Um, so those worry me, and I feel as though if women are sort of talking about all the benefits that testosterone can have, they can't find it from their doctors, they're going to get some kind of injection that's unregulated because that's their only option, it could work for a little while and they could feel better, but then they're going to have this like crash and burn, crash and burn is very costly. So my wish list is that like we really could have a testosterone patch we could have an fda approved testosterone medication we need a product there's no question that we need an approved product for this but at the end of the day diminishing women are going to that to the pellets they're going to these things because they do want to feel better and we keep dismissing them by saying that they're crazy or that it's a placebo effect or they're chasing something that's not real there is a biological basis to sexual health whether people want to admit to it or not teenagers are not having deep meaningful conversations with each other and having right they're horny they have a biological surge of of drive right we know antidepressants cause intense sexual dysfunction low libido and delayed orgasm how can we deny the biological basis for sexual health does that mean that good communication isn't important of course not does that mean therapy is not important everybody needs therapy for the record everybody needs therapy and mindfulness i'm in therapy therapy too but the, the right it's so important and so 
we have to do a better job, right, of understanding that it's biopsychosocial and understanding that we yeah. need that women's quality of life and sexual health really freaking matter. Yeah. The other thing I'll say about testosterone is that like there is almost no contraindications, very few reasons why women can't use low doses of transdermal physiologic testosterone. There's almost no case where you really can't invest. Yesterday when we were talking the complex cases, you know, one of the questions came up is what about testosterone in breast cancer survivors? And both Jim Simon and I agreed that we would absolutely use it. We don't know about the long-term effects or we don't know about, you know, super therapeutic levels, but that there's no good data to show that you can't use it. I would use testosterone in place of estrogen progesterone if someone has contraindications to estrogen, history of a PE or cancer, can't take estrogen at all then I would use testosterone. But I do think the trifecta is really nice. I think we should be doing it more. I think we should keep yelling and screaming and teaching about it. But I do think we need more research because I still do not women to I don't want women to feel as though their only options are to get super therapeutic levels. Of right? course, of yeah. course, you know, the, the, of course we need more research and more products, but I don't think super physiologic levels. I think when you you know, and Iswish has put out guidance of how to prescribe testosterone therapy to women. It is not that complicated. We use generic male products, take right? Take a little pinch, take a little pea sized It's not that hard, right? Like, make this tube last 10 days. It's not rocket science, people. And so it, it, the whole point is, like, we do off-label things all the time. If you've ever given birth control for acne protection, you do an off-label thing, right? If you've ever, like, so if you, we give men Clomid all the time to help boost their testosterone and maintain fertility, as urologists. We love doing off-label things as urologists. <laughs> and so, again, I think for me as a urologist who gives testosterone men all, to men all the time, it's not hard for me to give it to my female patients safely and effectively. And I push for quality of life because it should be shared decision-making. And I'm really frustrated because every, all, all yeah. of my Instagrams and your Instagrams, it's like, yes. well, I can't take hormones. I can't take vaginal hormones. By the way, everyone can take everyone. vaginal hormones. Yeah. There is no human on earth who it is a contraindication if you're getting urine tract infections and you're needing lots of antibiotics and you're in pain and sex is painful you can and should use vaginal hormones with a discussion with a very evidence-based discussion with your care team but if anyone says to you you can't do something they don't understand women's autonomy and body autonomy and quality of life i think i know what's happening what's happening is that the army of women has become activated by things like your new york times article by a lot of things on instagram by the things in the uk but the doctors have not caught up not doctors here not but the doctors have not caught up. Oh, so it's a huge said, problem. Like, that's the problem. So we need to actually, like, we need to either go after the ACGME or residency training. So I we mean, have to. So this is why yeah. I. This is why I work from the moment I wake up to the morning I go to sleep, and I know why you, you see me going nonstop <laughs> is because. And my lecture on the clitoris, which you slept through this morning, was all about right are the pillars of work that we have to do and I showed pillars my, my student put pillars on a slide for me and it is that we need to do clinical research what happened oh keep going that we, we need to, to do clinical research we need to do basic science research and we need to do education and advocacy because if we don't train the doctors how to do any of this then the patients and this is the problem with the That's New York Times problem. menopause article right, coming have, out because now patients are galvanized they're like yes. Dr. Hirsch told me that I can have hormones and they go to the doctor and they're like oh Dr. Hirsch is trying to kill you yeah. no she's not you know and and so yep. that is the big problem and again what they're doing a little bit better in Britain um, you know where they have a little bit more um, people more people who know how to do this that are working together and that women are getting options yeah you're right.
You're right. But even right. in Britain, You're everyone's right. going nuts and crazy and I having know. all these problems with testosterone. The testosterone There's controversy is—it's—it's yes. it's not good or bad. It's not emotional. It's not political. It should like like you. We don't feel this way about insulin right we don't feel this way about insulin Diabetes. there's there's not this much emotion around there's something emotional about the word testosterone and and, and in women in women in specifically women. and we need to move past this idea that this is an emotional politically charged thing like it is a hormone that it has cell cellular function like it functions on all of your cells in your body it helps with muscles it helps with bone protection in men it helps actually prevent diabetes in men i just got uh, back from a testosterone harvard cme testosterone course that i help to teach and the benefits in men now men are abusing testosterone but the men who need testosterone are not even being offered it because there's so much politics and emotion so it's actually men we have this same issue with men and testosterone too so the controversy controversy is there for all genders it turns out yeah i think you're right there's like so many things here is that there's women have been activated there's nowhere to go there are no medical options even in the uk actually i think it's amazing that they have had shortages of hrt five to seven percent of women in the united states are on fda approved menopausal hormone therapy five to seven i mean if we're lucky enough we'll see like 25 percent that would be like a tr- a threefold increase from where we are. But we'll have shortages. We're going to have, we, I've We're already seen shortages, shortages in Vagia Fem. We've seen some shortages. Yep. I've seen Prometrium shortages. Um, uh, so, you know, I think there's so much, and, and not, we haven't even gotten to how difficult it is sometimes for women to access these medications if it's not FDA approved for them or if I need to do a prior authorization. I mean, it's crazy the amount of times I've had to switch from the patch to the gel. The gel's not covered, it's the same medication just a different route a different route it's absolutely wild like there's so many things but I think overall things like your New York Times article and we are seeing a shift like now is the time like if we just keep screaming and don't get tired at this point well I bet everyone was saying that like 15 years ago well, you know what? I do think we have the benefit of being post-WHI in our medical training. We're a little bit post-WHI in our medical training. And I think the benefit is that we weren't, it, we didn't get burned the way that so many of our colleagues got burned, right? They were doing this thing they believed in, and then they got told they were monsters that were killing people. And it has taken 25 years to get them to like be like, no, we weren't. Like, see, we were okay. And so I think we have more energy and can galvanize a little bit stronger because we didn't have that. And and we can see like, hey, we don't practice medicine any single way that we did 30 years ago for anything. Why are we doing that for hormones? We don't do breast cancer management the same way. We don't do GI management the same way. We, we don't, don't do that. Do like we do the way the baby sleeps, literally, sleep on your back, sleep Literally on your nothing, sleep like there backs. is no medicine that we practice from 30 years ago. Move on hormones, move on menopause. Like you deserve quality of life. You can do it safely, you can do it effectively. Like that's what, end of story like period end of sentence well said I hug thank you for having me on again I don't know how this is going to go but um, this is going to go great I am so thrilled that you're at this conference I'm so thrilled with the work that you're doing I just um, every time I hear you and your podcast on my drive I'm like I know her and she's saying things that I say I'm not the only one I recommend your podcast to everybody I know um, and uh, shout it widely so I just I just it's exciting because there's so much more we have so much 
freaking work you to can, do. You can let it all. We have so much it. fucking work to do. <laughs> and I know I you need, wanted to I say know, I'm an F-bomber. I'm sorry, guys. That's what I do. Um, we have, it's urology. I can get away with it. Um, we have so much work to do. And so this is why we have to all lift each other up and work together and find more ways to teach providers, to help patients, to advocate. And I need people to write the prescriptions because yeah. there are not enough people writing pres- prescriptions. prescriptions and knowing the gray. There's so much gray in menopause. It is not one size fits all, right? We really have to customize treatment often and not everyone tolerates all the same things. And so you have to have that customization and relationship with people that you can customize and say, okay, this isn't working or, oh, I started spotting. What do I do? You know, like uh, progesterone's not going well for me. Like, what do I do? And you have to kind of tink. I tell patients like, listen, we got to tinker, especially with perimenopausal patients. Like, y'all are a moving target. So like, much tinker. Right? We got to tinker a lot. And what we do now is not necessarily what we're going to do in six months. And so right. you have to be patient and know that we're going to follow you where you go. But you have a team member who's there helping you along the way. I know. Oh, my gosh. Well... I love your energy. I love that I got you at the brink of like exhaustion to just like let oh, yeah. it all out. I You're get ragey. I get ragey. Yeah. When are you gonna start a podcast? You know what? It's a dream. It's just finding the time, time. and the consistency. Because I, if I, I do know. it, I want to do it well and be consistent. But, what if and we co-host a I, podcast? You don't have time for that. Um, no. Well, you, you have we, more time than I do. But um, <laughs> we we should discuss because I would love. To Wouldn't figure out a way. If it was like Heather and Rachel show. So my dream, I do want to start a podcast <laughs> called. Do you uh, need us? They're they're going to be in these rooms. In oh, a okay. Second. We're going to get kicked out. Okay. We're getting, kicked conference. Out. we're getting kicked out of, yeah. of the conference. I see lots of pointing. Okay. All right. We're out. We're good. We're good. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Rachel Rubin, everyone. Mic drop. <laughs> Is that okay? If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Episode.